Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Benjamin Solar. Good morning, Ben. Hello. So, Ben, you have been in a lead position here at Blinkist for quite a while. What have you found to be one of your biggest challenges as a leader? I don't know about challenge, but I guess just what the work actually is. Communication and process. Yeah, exactly. For me, I think the the biggest challenge when I've been in leadership positions was always like expressing to someone that expectations aren't being met. And I think that's oh. that's for two reasons. And one is because it's just hard to tell people, hey, you're not doing what I think you're supposed to be doing. And then it's B, realizing, oh, you're probably not doing what I think you're supposed to be doing because I insufficiently communicated to you what needed to happen. Right. It's not really all on them. No, definitely not. In fact, I, I think it's like usually not mostly on them. And it's tough. It's a quandary that that leaders have all the time. And there are tons and tons of books out there that people have written on leadership, as you know, as I know, as everybody listening knows. Um, But there's a really great one that a whole bunch of my friends are excited about. I've been recommended this book a number of times. It is The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A New Paradigm for Sustainable Success. So tell us more about the book. All right. So it's written by Jim Detmer, Diana Chapman, and Kaylee Warner-Klemp. And I got to talk with two of these three authors, Jim and Diana. The two of them are also founders of the Conscious Leadership Group, where they bring this radical new leadership model to the organizational world. And for them, leadership comes down to being willing to be fully alive and fully present. So wait, you talked to both? You talked to two people? We haven't done that before on Simplify, right? Excellent. Important questions, Ben. Yes, I talked to both Jim and Diana, and we haven't done that before. And it, it happened because there is a lot in this book. It is a, it's, it's a tome in a really great way. And talking with both of them gave me the opportunity to cover different subjects in it. So I talked with Jim first, so we'll start there, also because his specialty really covers the basics of their concept. So before we play the interview, can you give us like one thing we should listen out for? Well, first of all, listen for the vibe, which sounds funny, but you'll notice that this conversation is very much about being present and listening generously. And it was such a nice experience with Jim because he really modeled so much of what their model of leadership is. And past that, though, Jim explains the basic, easy to remember model of conscious leadership that they've designed, which is super simple. Are you above the line or are you below it? And that's it. So let's let's just play the tape. Yeah, let's do it. Stick around after because we'll recap a little bit, add some books to your list, and we'll introduce Diana Chapman, the other author of The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. All right, let's roll it. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hello, Caitlin. It's great to be with you. Excellent. Jim, before we jump into to talking about The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, uh, I'd like it if you could introduce yourself the way that you like to be introduced. <laughs> That's such a great question. The first thing I'd ask you is introduced to whom? When I'm introduced to my grandchildren's friends, I want to be introduced differently than I do executives from Wall Street. So That's exactly it. <laughs> so I guess the answer would be this. The roles I play in life, I play the role of writer and speaker and coach and trainer. Uh, who I am in life is that I'm a deep practitioner of living and relating from presence. And I invite others into that space, both individually and in their relationships in life. So I love to practice being present. Okay. Then 
let's just be here now and and jump right in. I I have this nice dossier prepared for all the things I wanted to ask you about surrounding your book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, but I have a feeling that we're just going to have a nice freewheeling conversation that is the two of us talking now, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) That would be my preference. (laughs) Great. Okay. So I guess I'm really curious. You said you're, you're committed to being present in, in life. I, how did you get into this work? Hmm. From the time I was a little kid, I've been a seeker. And for most of my life, I think that seeking was driven primarily from pain. Uh, for many, many years, I had a literal physical ache in the center of my chest and a lot of existential angst. So from a very young age, I began to look for what could take that ache away. Or another way of saying that, what could give me peace? And then the second thing that has always interested me are relationships. What does it look like to have an authentic, real relationship, whether personally or professionally? So I've been a seeker around relationship technology, what creates world-class relationships. Mm -hmm. And then the third subject that's always interested me is leadership. And what does a new paradigm of leadership look like? So from the time I was a kid, I've been seeking that. I've found the greatest teachers in the world. We say all the time, none of our thoughts are original, and Mm -hmm. I really believe that. I'm just a practitioner, and I offer what I've learned back out to the world. Beautiful. And reading your book and in hearing what you just said now, it sounds to me like the most important relationship, and this this is, you know, one of the most cliche cliches ever, but the most important relationship to get right and to feel good about is the one you have with yourself. <laughs> and And you have so many tools to help people be authentic with themselves and assess where they are. You talk a lot about context and location. Um, what does that mean for leaders. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. So the first place we often start with leaders is developing greater self-awareness. So the basic idea is that all of our life is filled with content. Content is just the stuff of life. It's your quarterly earnings. It's the conversation that you're having with your mother as she transitions into supported life care. It's it's the bet you placed on the football game this weekend. It's just the content of life. And then all of that is occurring in a context. So the first thing we want leaders to become increasingly self-aware about is what is their context? And we use a very, very simple model just above or below the line. And that translates to just this. Are you currently in a state of fear or trust? Are you currently open or closed? Are you currently defensive or curious? Are you currently wanting to learn or wanting to be right? So we just simply ask leaders to begin a self-reflection practice where they pause and they just ask, where am I? Mm. Do you ever find that it's challenging to get leaders to be honest about that, where they are? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, totally. Totally. At multiple levels. First of all, It's not natural in any of us, whether leaders or just those of us just moving through life, to tell ourselves the truth when we're scared. Mm. 
most of us have spent most of our lives adapting to this fear-based reactivity, denying it, repressing it, acting out of it. So the ability to simply ask yourself, where am I? And give enough breath so that you can really locate yourself and say, wow, in this moment, I'm scared. So I was doing that just before our conversation started. And I noticed there was some fear, some anxiety, which is just natural and normal. Mm. I've done countless conversations like this. And almost all the time, there's the arising of some nervousness and some excitement, by the way. Mm -hmm. So learning to be honest with yourself and not to make being scared a bad thing, but rather to make it natural and normal. It's just part of our survival mechanism. It's nothing more than that. Mm. We as humans scan the world looking for threats to our survival. Mm. When we find threats, we get scared. It's just normal. So the first thing we have to do with leaders is normalize fear. But at the beginning of the journeys, most leaders have a very difficult time answering that simple question honestly. I can imagine. Yeah. And I, I've got to say, this is my job. And before every interview, I also feel a little bit afraid. <laughs> Full of sure. anxiety and excitement and also nervousness because you don't know who exactly you'll encounter on the other end of the phone line. Yeah. Um, well, and just, just to be clear... Um, we say that there are three core wants that every human has. They want to be liked, loved, and valued. That's the wanting of approval. They want to control things because when we think we're out of control, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And they want security or safety. Mm -hmm. So again, prior to this conversation, I can feel a little activation around all of those. Like, I want to be liked, loved, and approved of. There's still a part of me that wants that and wants it from you or wants it from the listeners. So there's a little bit of anxiety. Am I going to show up in a way that creates that? Mm. So I'm just a normal human. So are you. And one of the keys to our work is how do we relate to each other? So it's so great if we can start out by saying, hi, I'm Jim, and I'm a little nervous. And you can say, hi, I'm Caitlin, and I'm a little nervous. <laughs> and then we can go from there. If only first date started out that way. Wouldn't it be marvelous? It would be so marvelous. But, you know, my experience with people is if you said that on a first date, it just would cut through a lot of the, you know, the stuff of life that we take a long time to get through. We both are committed to the same level of authenticity, vulnerability, uh, openness. Absolutely. I, I would love that, too. <laughs> um, so you said earlier that existing above or below the line you either you're acting out of a place of trust or you're acting out of a place of fear. How do you help leaders move more consistently from a place of fear into being able to act from a place of trust? The first key is to develop real awareness about when I am in a fear-based reactivity. So most of us know when we're really in the grip of fear or in our reactive pattern. It's as though below the line, there could be minus one to minus 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and most of us know what we're like when we're in minus eight, nine, or 10. That's when we're yelling or walking out or shutting down totally. But what we work with leaders on is, can you start to tell when you're just mildly contracted? 
And most people, with just a little bit of help, can start to see things they say, ways they behave, things they believe, when they're just in a little bit of fear-based reactivity. So we always say self-awareness is the first step. Can I notice when I'm contracted or below the line? And then self-acceptance is the second step. So what happens with leaders is, because they're leaders, they tend to want to perform well. Mm -hmm. So they start to believe that the key is to be above the line. Then they start judging themselves for being below the line. They start pretending that they're above the line when they're not. So that's why we say the first key is, can you locate yourself? And then the second key is, can you accept yourself for being just where you are? Like I said, today is Monday and I'm a little reactive. Can I accept myself for that? And can I give myself one breath of acceptance? Because the antidote to fear is acceptance. Mm. Now, the reason that's so important is because that breath of acceptance literally begins to change our blood and brain chemistry. So this is neurobiological. This fear-based reactivity pumps, you know, adrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine into our body and it changes our breathing pattern. And just powering through fear doesn't change that. What it takes to change that is literally to breathe. Four conscious breaths and all of a sudden, my blood and brain chemistry settle down and there are more options available to me than when I'm in a contracted place. Mm. So for long-term sustainable leadership, we need to be able to bring acceptance, quite frankly, to ourselves and to others. Because we say to leaders all the time, the people you're leading are just like you. They're scared much of the time. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. You said four, four breaths will start to change your blood chemistry and change the, the way that your body is reacting to this fear. What happens next? What do I do with these emotions? So we actually teach that there are four questions that create conscious leadership. And just without even thinking about it, you and I have covered two of them. The first question is, where am I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> am I above or below the line? The second question is, can I accept myself? Mm -hmm. And the third question is, am I willing to shift? And what we mean by that is, am I willing to go from below the line to above the line? And we teach all the time that wanting to shift and being willing to shift are two very different things. Most people want to shift. They want to be something other than they are. But down deep, they're unwilling to shift, and they're unwilling to shift for some really good reasons. For example, when I'm below the line, I have a sense of predictability. The world feels familiar. When I go above the line, I'm literally stepping into the unknown. And most of us are scared to move into the unknown. So when we say, are you willing to shift? We mean it as a legitimate question. Sometimes leaders choose to stay in a self-protective modality. Mm. Now, let me illustrate it specifically. So the third commitment of the 15 commitments is the commitment to feel our feelings all the way through. Well, when we're below the line, 
One of the things we're doing is avoiding certain core feelings. Let me explain. When we're below the line, we're in a fear-based reactivity. But you might discover that that fear is covering over deep sadness. And so if I was to move from below the line to above the line, I'd need to be willing to feel my sadness all the way through to completion, which usually takes less than a minute and a half, but I'd need to be willing to feel it. So if I'm below the line, wanting to control my emotional state, in other words, not feel my sadness, not feel my anger, not feel my fear all the way through. And you ask me, are you willing to shift? And I say, well, does that mean I need to be willing to feel my feelings? Leader might say, listen, I don't want to feel my feelings. I'm afraid that, you know, if I get sad and vulnerable, I'm going to appear weak. So then what they discover is they're unwilling to shift into trust. Mm. And basically, the 15 commitments are just 15 questions of willingness. Am I willing to feel my feelings? Am I willing to value curiosity over being right? Am I willing to end blame and criticism and take responsibility? So the third question, am I willing to shift, is a big question because it gets at the ways that we're unwilling to be fully alive and fully present. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? That does. Um it sounds it sounds great to be able to to say yes I am willing to shift but what if someone's just not and and is it possible that they never are Such a good question. We say that the goal is not to shift. The goal is awareness and acceptance. So if a person gets to that third question, they've asked the first question, where am I? And they accurately locate themselves as below the line. And then they ask the second question, can I give myself a breath of acceptance? And the answer is yes. Then they're really free to shift or not shift. Now, here's the key. In our experience, you'll get a ton of learnings from not shifting. So, for example, let's take this into the personal life. When I'm working with a couple around their intimate relationship, and let's say they're both below the line, and they can accept themselves for being below the line. And now we get to, are you willing to shift? And we get to the fourth commitment. And the fourth commitment is, are you willing to reveal and not conceal? And most couples have tons of withholds where they they haven't been fully revealed to each other. So then they look at each other and they say, you know, I'm scared to be honest with you. Mm. So for weeks or months or years, I've withheld really authentic truths. And right now, I'm still too scared to be honest. So I'm unwilling to shift. I'm unwilling to reveal all of my thoughts, judgments, feelings, wants, desires, hurts, because I'd rather try to control the relationship by withholding. Now, just think about how real and authentic that statement is. <laughs> I, it kind of, it made me choked up. Sorry. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, the choked up part that you feel and the tenderness I feel in my heart is, that's what we actually are all deeply seeking, mm-hmm. is the ability to be that vulnerable with each other, including saying, I'm unwilling to tell you everything about myself, because quite frankly, I'm scared you won't love me or like me. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an act of 
authenticity. And it creates a building block for going deeper in our relationship when we're willing to. Right. Okay. That that was not the answer I was expecting to get, but it's so much um, more generative than what I thought I might hear. <laughs> well, what happens, mm-hmm. one of the ways that our work is most deeply misunderstood and actually becomes weaponized in the workplace is people think that the goal is to be above the line, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, people turn the question, where are you, into a weapon. Mm-hmm. And somebody thinking they're using conscious leadership will say to somebody, where are you right now? And there's an accusatory tone to it. And of course, if they weren't below the line, when you ask them that question that way, they'll go below the line because they're hearing criticism and blame. So what we teach teams and leaders and people is don't use this as a weapon on yourself or other people, because when you weaponize it, you'll go further below the line. Yeah. Just a quick break in my talk with Jim to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Blinkist, which is where Ben and I work. Blinkist is an app that gives you a sneak peek into a whole world of great nonfiction books like Jim's by identifying the key ideas and transforming them into powerful little capsules of text or audio that you can digest in only 15 minutes. And now there are shortcasts too. Shortcasts, in case you don't know yet, are 10 to 15 minute edits of the most important ideas from longer podcast episodes. And we make them alongside the original hosts like Malcolm Gladwell of Revisionist History or Dr. Lori Santos of Happiness Lab. They're super cool because you can learn really fascinating, fresh stuff in just minutes and get up to speed on those great shows that everybody is listening to. But as with most things, it's better if you just try it out yourself. So go to Blinkist.com simplify, click try Blinkist in the top right hand corner, and you can try it for 14 days for free by entering the code THELINE. One word, the line, T-H-E-L-I-N-E. That's Blinkist.com simplify, use code THELINE, and you're good to go. I hope you love it. That's it. Back to my talk with Jim. I'd like to I'd like to shift a little bit more granular for a second. And when I was reading the section about feeling all the feelings, which is commitment three, I was surprised to see that there there are really just five major emotions that you identify. Um, and I don't know that all of them feel like they have a place in the office most of the time. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> particularly there, there's. Um, what are they? There's fear. There's joy. There's sexual feelings, which is the the one where I, I cocked an eyebrow and went, "Do I feel sexual feelings at work?" Uh, um, yeah. And there are two more. I, I'm missing them right now. That's great. So there's anger, mm. fear, sadness, joy, and sexual creative feelings. And you're right. When we wrote the book, we just wanted to articulate what we believe the core feelings are. Now, a completely different conversation is, are we willing (laughs) to have those feelings in all areas of our life? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to start with the basics. And we say the five core feelings are kind of like the three primary colors. Mm -hmm. Out of those three primary colors, you make all the rest of the colors. Out of these five core feelings, you make 
all the rest of the feeling palette that is available to all of us. And the reason we say there are five is because there are five zones in the body where sensations occur that are mapped to emotions. So anger occurs primarily in the jaw, the head, the neck, the shoulders, the fists. Sadness occurs primarily in the chest, the front of the neck, the front of the face, the eyes. Fear is in the belly. Joy is like an effervescent tingling that can actually run over the whole body that tends to want to make us move up. If you're at an athletic event and your team scores, you'll notice that tens of thousands of people stand up and they raise their hands up. That's joy. So true. Now, the reason we added that fifth one is because the body has sensations that begin in erogenous zones and then circulate throughout the whole body. Those sensations are, for lack of a better term, sexual feelings. Now, here's the key. The goal is to understand that sexual feelings don't need to lead to sex or inappropriate actions or behaviors. They can actually be moved into deep creative energy. Hmm. And in the workplace, creativity is the currency of today's workplace, innovation. And we believe that creative innovation is significantly tied to our ability to feel that sexual energy all the way through our body. And again, unrelated to sex. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work with um, people who are in the high states of creativity. And I'll never forget dealing with one of the leaders of one of the largest ad agencies in the world. And when he said, wow, there's so much sexual energy in this creative environment. People don't know how to be with it in a healthy way. So they're doing all kinds of goofy stuff with each other and in the workplace. And when we try to kink that, then they get uncreative. So our goal is to have creative energy flowing in a way that is deeply respectful and profound in the way we treat one another, but still fully creative. Now, again, we have all kinds of clients who don't want to talk about sexual feelings. We say, great, we'll never talk about them. But when we wrote the book, we wanted to at least provide the entire landscape of leadership experience, and then people can decide what they want to do with them. Mm. But absent the ability to be with feelings in the workplace, we have all kinds of issues that show up in the workplace. Yeah. So then... I know a lot of, let's call them more traditional leaders, who might say that feelings have no place in the workplace. But your book contends something extremely different, and there are very specific things <laughs> that, that emotions are good for. I wondered if you could talk about what those five core emotions can help us diagnose. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, so we work with leaders all the time who say feelings have no place in the workplace. We just want to be objective. We want to be data-driven. We want facts. Mm. And the first thing we say to them is, absent you being self-aware about your feelings, then they are a data set in your decision-making that you're blind to. And that causes poor decision-making. There's information in those feelings. I'll just give you a quick summary. So, 
anger. When anger is here, it's an invitation to look at what is not of service. Anger is designed to say, stop. Something is going on here that is not of service to me, to you, to our team, to our company, to the collective. Leaders who don't have anger have poor boundaries. They don't know how to say no. Fear is an energy that's designed to wake us up. It's saying, wake up and pay attention. What am I not seeing? What am I not facing? When we don't allow fear into the workplace, we override our instinctual knowing that there's something we're not fully facing, and that causes problems. Mm -hmm. Sadness. Sadness is here to invite us to let go, to let go of something that isn't working, to let go of a relationship that has run its course to let go of a dream, a vision, a possibility. Because unless we can let go and grieve, we're not available to the present, to the new creative impulse of the moment. Hmm. Joy is the energy of celebration. We work with constant teams who, when we ask them to do self-evaluation, they say we're really bad at celebration. We don't appreciate ourselves for the little wins and the big wins. That's because they've cut themselves off from joy. And this is something that starts in us as little children. Because when you felt your joy as a little child and you did a happy dance, many of us had caregivers who said, hey, hey, be careful here, because if you get that full of yourself, you know, you're going to become too big for your britches. You know, life can't be that good. So what ends up happening is we literally kink our joy. And as we've already indicated, sexual energy is designed for creativity. What wants to be created? What wants to be innovated? What wants to be improvised? So there you go. Those are five things we get from having emotional intelligence in the workplace. Wow. That is a whole lot of data that to ignore would be absolutely (laughs) absurd. It's crazy if you think about it. You know, we say there are three centers of knowing. There's the head, your IQ, which everybody knows the value of that. Then there's the heart, EQ. That's what we're talking about here. And then the third thing that we're just beginning to address is BQ, which is body intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what we now know is your body's the first line of awareness in the world, and the instinctual knowing of the body is far more accurate and far faster than IQ. I think it's going to change the way we lead in the world. Mm. It's really quite exciting. (laughs) It really is. Jim, there's so much more I wanted to cover, but I'm really grateful that we got to talk about emotions in the workplace. Um, Mm. what What I wanted to ask you, though, is... We do have a lot of people who I guess would be categorized as as newer leaders out there in the listenership. And if there were something that you could leave newer leaders with, what would you love them to know? Hmm. Oh, what a beautiful question. Um, Two things come to mind right now. One is I would want them to know that long-term context 
will be as important as content. So they are becoming content experts, whether it's coding or whether it's first-line management and supervisory skills or innovation or how to form a team. They're developing a skill set, which we celebrate. That's fabulous. But I would want them to see that how they're doing the work they're doing, are they above the line or below the line, is going to be equally or more important than what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And I would want them to develop a couple simple practices, a few minutes a day, to begin to cultivate context awareness. And and what are the things that you'd ask them to do to cultivate context awareness? Assess, am I above or below the line? Figure out where they are emotionally and, and if they can accept it. Is, is that what you mean? You got it. We okay. actually would have them download an app like Mind Jogger, which works on um, Apple products or randomly remind me on Droid products and program it to simply ask themselves the question, you know, four or five times a day, where am I? And they make an agreement with themselves that whenever their phone or their watch asks them, they'll pause and they'll just answer above or below the line. That'd be the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then second, we would teach them conscious breathing, how to take four breaths that are four seconds long on the inhale and the exhale while resting their attention on their belly, because that's the simple shift move to change blood and brain chemistry. So- Talk about practical, download an app uh -huh. and ask yourself a handful of times a day, where am I? Second, breathe. And then third, if they wanted to do emotional intelligence after a month of the uh, app asking them, where am I? The next thing I'd have it ask them is, what feeling is here now? Because we always have feelings. Right now, I feel joy and I feel creative energy. And you feel feelings too. And the first key to emotional intelligence is, can you just know what you're feeling in any given moment? You don't have to do anything with it. Just ask the question, what feeling is here now? So those are three very specific practical applications. They are. Thank you so much for that. What a gift. Jim Dethmer, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's been such a pleasure. Mm, you're so welcome. And I have such gratitude for you and for this conversation. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. What I really, really liked about this book and this talk in particular, that Jim really focuses on feelings and what they can do for us on the job and what they're doing for us every single moment. I love that he gave these concrete locations for feelings. That was really helpful to me, actually, and how they can be useful. So he, to recap, he says that anger begins in the jaw, which I've definitely felt before. Sadness in the throat and the chest and the front of the face, which I hadn't thought about it. But actually, when I think about sadness, I don't know about you, but I do feel it there, especially especially between my eyebrows. Um, fears in the belly. Joy is an effervescent tingling. And he says that sexual feelings begin in the genitals, but are really about creative energy. And all of these feelings, they're doing things for us. They're telling us things like anger is here to help us notice something that is not needed anymore. And if we're sad, it's an invitation to us to let go of something that isn't working, you know, and so on and so forth. So I really liked how concrete Jim made feelings and how easy he made it to tune into them 
and notice what they're doing for us in every moment by giving us locations in the body to look for them. Yeah, again, like another kind of awareness, right? Exactly. How about you? Did you notice anything? I, I think what I liked was the idea that the goal isn't to be above the line. Like the line isn't to be weaponized. It's not like, yeah. I did it, score, I'm above the line. I'm more yeah. conscious than you are, you know? <laughs> and I, I liked the anecdote of somebody in a meeting sort of pointing the finger at somebody. You're not above the line. Yeah, like that's that's not the point at all. It's again, it's to go back to this idea of of presence and self-awareness and knowing where you are enough to understand how it's influencing how you're acting, what your decisions are, how you're being with the people around you. Um, it's so important. And I think that this is a really nice reminder about that. Yeah. So should we do the books? I'm curious about what other books you brought to this episode. Yes. So the first one that I want to recommend is from another Simplify author. It's No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. It's kind of similar to some of the concepts in in this book. Uh, we talked with Liz Foslian. It's by Liz Foslian and Molly West Duffy and talked with Liz Foslian, I guess, about two years ago. It was season... No, it was last year. It was season six. It's really great. It's a guide to understanding and managing your emotions in the context of your working life and and helping you figure out how to make them work for you in the workplace, help you be a better communicator, help you figure out what you need and want. Um, It's a great book. I really recommend it. Nice. My my recommendation was going to be Loving What Is, Four Questions That Can Change Your Life by Byron Katie and Stephen Mitchell. Mm, mm -hmm. The 15 Commitments authors love this book. And... The idea is, for example, you can't really let go of a painful thought. Again, this kind of awareness, the sitting in the emotions as things are, as it is. So that's the book that I brought. And those challenge questions that she asks are so interesting. They're like, can you prove that whatever you're thinking is true? And then it's like question two, can you absolutely prove that it's true? (laughs) What if it were not true? They're so simple, but they're, they're really interesting ways to deconstruct whatever you're spinning on, which I think is great. Um, I guess if we had to do a third one, I would really say any of Daniel Goleman's books, really. Yeah. These are some really like foundational works about emotional intelligence that you should check out if you were interested in in this interview's topics. Yeah. Daniel Goleman. I mean, we've probably recommended these books before, but uh, like you said, foundational. Yeah. Good. All right. So let's wrap this up. So there are three centers of knowing. There's IQ, EQ, and BQ. IQ matches with mind, EQ with heart, and BQ with body. And in this book, in the 15 Commitments, they teach that using all three of them is really important for conscious leadership. And with Jim, I talked about embracing emotional intelligence at work, but we only briefly touched the topic of body intelligence. So I am really happy that I got the chance to talk about how we can use body intelligence at work with Diana. She also shared some really easy and playful shift moves, what they call to, you know, get yourself back on track above the line or get yourself to a state where you can be operating more consciously. And the episode with Diana Chapman is already here and available so you can listen to it right away. Yeah, and do that. I mean, I think the interviews are really complement each other. Indeed. All right. So then, Ben, take us out of here. Right. Simplify was produced by me, Ben Truman Solar, Caitlin Schiller, Ines Blazius and Marta Medveshek. Um, before we go, we have two requests of you. One, if you like this episode, just share it with someone. Maybe somebody else who is who is a leader. Maybe your boss, or maybe that's passive aggressive. I don't know. Um, and then the other thing is leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of Simplify. Or you can, of course, reach out and write us at podcast at Blinkist.com and we'll read it and get back to you. 
And if you didn't know, this episode is brought to you by Blinkist, which is where Caitlin and I work still all these years, all these episodes, all these, years. All these seasons. Blinkist is an app, but you can also find us on the web, Android store, iOS, all the apps. And, you know, we take the key insights from the world's best nonfiction books and podcasts and distill them into little little capsules you can listen to in about 10, 15 minutes. So check it out. Yep. And there are also shortcasts, uh, which are the same thing, but in podcast form. And there are also shortcasts of Simplify. So if, for example, you wanted to listen to that Liz Foslian episode I mentioned, you could listen to it in the Blinkist app. It's just 10 minutes. It sucks out the the key insight from the interview and makes it so you can learn it really quickly and delightfully. Right. And if you want to try Blinkist, we made a voucher code so you can get 14 days free of Blinkist. Go to Blinkist.com slash Simplify, tap on Try Blinkist in the upper right-hand corner, and use the code THELINE, and you'll get 14 free days. Woohoo! Do it! All right, that's it for today. I am on Twitter at at Caitlin Schiller. Ben is at at Bisto. And again, you can email us at podcast at Blinkist.com. Till next time, checking out. Checking out. Checkin out.